Boom, I'm walking. Do I dump it? Do I throw the drift? Nothing. Take it up. Five, Three, two, one. Let's go. Work, 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 work. This is the Dig Deep Podcast, and I'm your host, Stefan Martinez. I'm super excited to bring this platform to you guys to bring value to the basketball community and hopefully even be able to reach some people outside the basketball world. Uh, it was only right for me today for my first episode to be with my high school coach, Coach Daniel Johnson of Hillsborough High School in Hillsborough, Missouri. Coach Johnson's been a head high school coach for 13 years with over 240 wins, four district titles, and in our area here in Missouri, Coach probably the most collegiate players in the last seven to eight years. Coach, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, th uh, Steph, thanks for having me. Real excited uh, to share this with you, uh, just another avenue and platform you've got going to, to help girl basketball here in our community. We appreciate it. You know, me and Coach Johnson, we, uh, we've had our ups and downs. I remember as a player, Coach Johnson kicking me out of a couple open gyms, probably because I was, you know, doing something I wasn't supposed to. And then Coach Johnson, probably, you know, young coach, uh, he probably didn't have the most emotional intelligence either. But Coach Johnson was one of the first people to let me in the door regards to working with players. And then um, obviously my career has been able to snowball since then. I want to jump right into uh, what made you go into coaching, uh, especially even at the high school level and not maybe the collegiate level because you did have a successful uh, playing career uh, as well, two-time All-State. Uh, what made you get into coaching? Did you have a mentor? And tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, my mom, uh, she's a, an educator. She's a retired teacher. So, uh, you know, I was always kind of around that. Uh, but as far as a, a role model for where I'm at now, uh, my high school basketball coach, Kenny Ash, uh, came as when I was a junior. And uh, he was our PE teacher, basketball coach. And he and I really connected. Uh, I liked uh, the stuff that he did with us as a team. Uh, got to know him a little better and the more the ins and outs of the job. And uh, obviously I had a, a strong love and passion for basketball. Uh, you, you can only play for so long, so so coaching was the the next natural step, and uh, you know started started young and uh, still loving it today. Um, now with that, you know being a coach at the high school level for this long and then playing also as well, how have you seen the game evolve regards to players' skill set, but also coaching wise and system wise? Um, I feel like that I know in my time. Uh, it's definitely even changed, and I I was playing high school basketball just ten years ago. Yeah, um, you know I think in regards to skills, you know, and some, some may argue, and I I could be wrong, but I feel like uh, today through through you know channels like like you run like your dig deep stuff, you know, players are are a lot more skilled, um, and and the size isn't really you know you've got six five guys with guard skills, six seven guys with guard skills, whereas you know even seven eight ten years ago. Um, if you were that size, you stood down by the rim and, and, you know, teams would try to play through the post. You know, when, when I was coaching you, we had a two-post system um, just because that's kind of what everybody else was doing and we just didn't know any better. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, maybe maybe the, the youth coaches got a little smarter or, or something like that or, or just the game became, began to evolve because, you know, when kids are young, a lot of times the youth coaches want to take the big kid and just put him down next to the rim. Uh, say you're a post guy, but then that kid might only grow to be five foot ten or six foot tall, and now you got a, an undersized post guy. So, um, you know, I, I think that's one way that that it's evolved. Um, you know, it's more guard based, 
you know, getting to the rim, getting layups, and playing through the post is still super important, probably the most important thing. But uh, the way we go about getting there just is quite a bit different. Right. I mean, I, I think that the game is still played inside out. And I think that was the biggest deal of the post, like get the ball inside, get the ball inside. Whereas today we get the ball inside, but it's from different areas of the floor. It's uh, really attacking closeouts, playing downhill on the catches, playing out a handoff, playing out a ball screen. Uh, I think that's the biggest deal. There's so much more ball screen action, dribble handoff action today. Because what you want to create, which is the hardest thing to do in defense, is close out. And the more ball screen you play, to a degree, you don't want to play too much out of it, is you want to create a five-on-four, three-on-four-on-three, three-on-two situation where a kid has to rotate to a roller and then rotate out. And I think that's I think that inside-out is still the principle. I just think that we're getting there in different spots. Uh, now, in our local area – uh, in the last seven to eight years, you've has, had a great run here at Hillsboro that you guys are known for the matchup zone. Uh, and I remember when I was in high school, Farmington was running it, and it used to kill us. And it seemed like that we didn't have any sort of like designated offense to run against it. We didn't know where our shots were going to come from against it. If you could just talk about the matchup and why you went to the matchup, because when I played for we were playing vast majority man, with a mixture of a little bit of zone, why you got in the matchup and why do you think it's effective at the high school level? Yeah, uh, like you said, my, my first three years of coaching, we were we were 90% man. We would switch to maybe a 2-3 or 1-3-1 one, one, um, just uh, for a change-up. Uh, but in my time as an assistant, uh, while I was in college at SEMO, uh, I, I was assistant at Zalma, assistant at Oak Ridge, and I got to see a lot of the those Southeast teams play, um, one of which that stuck out was Cape Notre Dame. Uh, their head coach was – uh, Hall of Famer Paul Hale, father of Brett Hale, um, and you know got got to watch their matchup zone. They won a state title or two in that in that little time period, and um, you know it just I was real intrigued by it and how how they communicated and like you said how how difficult it was to go against. You weren't really weren't really sure what offense to run and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I got kind of got to pick his brain on that a little bit. Um, you know our girls coach at the time at North County. Uh, was a guy named Craig Allen who'd been uh, over at Farmington and and uh, where they'd run some matchup. Brett was an assistant over there at that time, so they they were kind of doing that stuff as well. And just decided to jump into it um, the year after you graduated. Actually, we had some some talented kids coming back who went on to play some college basketball. So um, you know, it's kind of just stuck with it ever since. Um, I think you know the way we run it is a little bit different and modified from from the way that uh, Notre Dame and Farmington was doing it. But that's definitely uh, we try to copy, you know, what, what works and, uh, you know, and it's, we've had some success with it. We've had some, uh, been fortunate enough to have a lot of good players to go along with that and, uh, you know, run a system that the guys can, can kind of grasp onto and, and, uh, you know, take some pride in. Now within that matchup, do you think it forces teams to take certain shots? Cause I remember your team playing two years ago. Now you had a lot of length, but it almost seemed like, you guys were letting people catch it at the nail and then just fanning out and matching up. And, I mean, I could argue that the mid-range is the shot you want. Everybody wants contested twos. And I do think at the high school level, if the if a player is getting the high post entry with their chest to the other end, so they have their back to the basket, a kid feels really uncomfortable facing up with no dribble off a pivot and shooting that. You know, I think that a kid would rather – catch and shoot a three and shoot a layup, then 
catch, face up mid range, and shoot that. I mean, is that something you guys try to do? Is try to force that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it does help to have a lot of length. You know, if you watch uh, the the Bayheim the Syracuse matchup, uh, that's kind of what they do. You know, they they leave the middle. I wouldn't necessarily say open, but they let you catch it there. Um, and you know, if if you want to try to kill it from there, that's fine. Now. Uh, there are players that can that can catch and, and really go to work from right there. But like you said, it anytime you're catching the bat, the ball, you know, and, and not facing up at the rim, I think it's advantage. And I think the defense can usually react in time. Uh, what you want to keep away from is just how, like in any defense is, you know, catch and shoot threes, wide open threes, and straight line drives. Um, you know, so yeah, we we have it's no different than than man to man principles and all that kind of stuff. The the thing about the matchup that I like is it forces your players to communicate because if you're not talking in that thing, then you're giving up layups and you're you're looking really really bad, um, you know. And then again, you most teams, most coaches, myself included, we've got you know just a a whole stack of really neat and cool you know man sets we can run or man offenses, and most teams. Uh, don't have a lot of stuff to, to go against the zone and, and even less to go against uh, a matchup zone. So uh, the matchup portion of it I'll also, in my opinion, gives you a better chance to rebound because you do have a matchup so you can you do know who you're supposed to go box out, whereas just your regular zone, if nobody's in your area, then you don't have anybody to box out, and, and that could be troublesome. Now I want to hop into some uh, tactical things regards to within the game that could involve not necessarily with us but some argument regards to how things have always been taught the first thing I want to hop into is I mean if I had a quarter for every time a coach made me sprint out three quarters chop my feet and throw belt both my hands up in the air uh, on a closeout you know I I probably would be sitting on the couch every single day uh, what are your thoughts on the closeout tactically how do you guys teach it and uh, how that's did you have you always done it that way or have you switched it up well, and one of those coaches that tried to teach you that was me. You know, I saw uh, uh, Carbondale's coach, Chris Lowry, at a clinic, and that's when they were really locking people up, locking Kansas up in the tournament, and uh, everybody was trying to do what they were doing. Um, now, you know, I, we've evolved that as well, and uh, I would say, first of all, we, we try to not have any long closeouts, you know, and that's kind of it's kind of trending there with the, with a lot of the pack line man stuff. You know, you, you don't want two-way closeouts because those are, those are easy to attack for the offensive man. So uh, hopefully you're not in a position to have a long closeout. But as far as the, the closeout itself, um, you know, I, I, and I can't give credit to him because I can't remember who it was, but uh, I listened to a, a, a coach talk about they've got, you know, a couple different names. You've got the Curry closeout and the LeBron closeout, right? So – if it's Steph Curry out there catching it, then uh, we're going to do whatever we can to run him off the line and not let him, you know, get out there as quick as possible. Uh, if it's a LeBron type, you know, he's going to want to drive it. So uh, you'll, you'll settle and live with the catch and shoot three from him rather than, than what he can do off the dribble. So uh, those are just kind of things. I wouldn't say we necessarily teach it a certain way. Um, it's just hopefully you're in, in proper position defensively. You don't have a long closeout and you know – uh, who your man is and, and what what he's trying to do. Yeah, I, I think that closeout-wise is really, I mean, it's personnel-driven, right, regards in how many kids you've seen that uh, he's a 25% three-four shooter and they just run at him, they blow by him for a layup when you should have forced him to shoot that contested shot. For me, I think that it's not necessarily choppy feet, high hands. It's just get your hand above the ball. If it's a 40% three-point shooter, I personally don't see the need to, to three-quarter choppy feet and slow down completely. 
you can sprint and get there without chopping your feet and put your hand to the ball. And I, I think it's a good point that uh, not teaching a closeout a certain way. You know, when I was in Australia, I guess that was two years ago, I was talking to a coach there who was a professional coach of a women's team, one of the best teams in the WNBL, and he was talking about stealing the ball and blocking shots. And he said, you know, there's a fine line in youth when it comes to being disciplined and have creativity. You know, in the youth level, and this is even all the way up, I'm not talking about reaching and getting a steal. I'm talking about a deflection in the passing lane. If a player gets a steal, the coach is clapping his hands saying good job. If he doesn't get the steal, he's like, stop gambling. Mm -hmm. Whereas the youth level, your best shot blockers and stealing the ball, they probably fouled a lot early. And they learn their body. They learn the, the, the angles of everything. And I, I think that's kind of with the closeout, too. Know your body. Know what you need best for you. And I don't think there's necessarily just a single way to do things. Like, yeah, we love here in the United States, we love inside hand, steal the ball in the passing lane. Well, sometimes you might catch it. Sometimes it might be the outside hand. But if you steal the ball, no one cares how you did it. It's the same way, you know, making layups. To, yes, you need to have different ways of finishing plays. But if you finish it, Nobody's going to give you bonus points for finishing a certain way. Right. Um, now, you talked about communication with you guys as a matchup. I remember coming home uh, while I was coaching college, playing in college, and you guys would be having regular practice, and your guys' communication level was always extremely high. I mean, I was playing and coaching uh, at the collegiate level at the time, and it almost sounded like a college practice in regards to how kids were communicating. Now, with that communication as a team, is it more emphasized where you're harping it on – everything you guys are doing or do you guys put them more in some sort of drill set that forces them to communicate um i, I guess it'd be more of an emphasis um you know the message is there's always something you can be doing so you know early season practices you're running through drills you might have some guys standing in a line or you might have running a shell drill and you got four guys that are that are out for the moment um you know if you're out you're not out like you can still you can still help right. energy is important right. um so yeah, we, we just we force them, make them uh, to always always say something, always do something to add energy, um, and that's in games on the bench. You know, some I've heard some people uh, get annoyed by our bench, and we've had to have uh, uh, we've had Good. to have officials come by and tell our kids to you know sit down and this and that. And uh, but I think anytime you can get everybody involved, like you know you you can't preach that uh, this is a team game and then only focus on you know the five guys on the court or the five guys in the drill are the only guys doing something so um, we start that early on day one and uh, you know it's it, it just becomes habit like anything else if you rep it enough uh, you're gonna do it out of habit and, and I think our guys have and our coaches have <laughs> have helped in that in that capacity and uh, you know we we don't want it to be quiet ever um, you know and and we want everybody has something to offer regardless of uh, you know what you're doing at the time so that it's just an emphasis for us um, now I, I I mentioned earlier uh, you know whatever the the NBA level is doing collegiate then follows suit and then years later the high school game it's just like the spacing of the floor now the European game the NBA game has been playing space like that for a, a while San Antonio kind of that's who I remember as a young uh, younger player kind of seeing space in the floor now have you seen the analytics affect the high school game you know uh, the NBA is so driven on layups free throws catch and shoot threes definitely corner threes have you seen uh, teams maybe they don't even know they're doing it but analytics are kind of driven 
what they're doing defensively and offensively? Um, I can't say necessarily that analytics, for me personally, plays into to what we do. Obviously, you know, you're checking on the percentages and this and that, and kind of like back to the matchup, the the high post catch. You know, I we've never really we don't necessarily stat it, but uh, you know, I, I would have to think most kids were going to shoot a catch and shoot three at a higher percentage than they're going to shoot a, you know, back to the basket, you know, reverse pivot, uh, elbow jumper type right. of thing. So. Um, but it, but it just in style of play uh, for sure I've I've seen the trickle down effect you know it, you talk about uh, earlier about playing through the post or whatever well you know guys like the Spurs like you're talking about the ball movement it, it's hard to just you know throw it down in a post and have everybody stand still and play off of one guy where player movement ball movement body movement has has become so important and I think that's a fun way to play as well um, I think the the fun factor is. Uh, you know, when kids go out and play an open gym or go play pickup basketball, you know, nobody wants to just spend all afternoon in the sun throwing it to the post guy and watching him go to work. Everybody wants to move around and uh, and be involved. And, you know, I, we try to say the ball has energy, so let, let's get it moving. Now, a couple more things before uh, I let you go. Uh, we're probably going to run into a school bell here. We're sitting here at uh, Coach Johnson's office on a Tuesday morning, so we might run into a bell here. Um for um, I want to ask, what changes would you like to see to the high school game, uh, regards to the rules of the game and how it's played? Um, not necessarily regards to players and coach, but what kind of what what rule or maybe rules would you like to see changed? Um, well, I know you're a, a, a advocate for this as well, but I would I'd love to see the shot clock um, in a, in a high school game. You know, whatever the the time may be, whether it's thirty seconds, thirty five, or whatever. Um, in the thirteen years that I've been a head coach. I'm not sure how many uh, shot clock violations we would have had. We we tend to to shoot it fairly quickly, but uh, I think that just adds a would add a different element. Uh, it definitely add a different element to the coaching side of things and strategy. You know, we we've benefited from no shot clock many times. We've been fortunate enough to have really good guards, ball handlers, and free throw shooters. Uh, heck, the first uh, district championship we won here in 2011. We had the ball on our side of the court for the last 90 seconds of the game and ended up winning by a point, you know. So that would just add something, not necessarily, not even speaking for the fans, but just for just a competitive standpoint where, you know, the team with the, with the eight-point lead and a good point guard can't just sit on it for, for the last three minutes of the game. Um, right. You know, so uh, that would be one thing. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe the way the game's officiated a little bit, I think our officials in the area are great and do a great job. Um, but there are there are some things that uh, I think that we could take a look at and maybe maybe clean up a little bit. Um, you know, it just just my personal opinion. Yeah, the shot clock. I I not early in the game, but the end of quarters and the end of halves. I think it could really make the game more tactical. And now it's going to make players make more decisions, and it's definitely going to make coaches make more decisions. The rule that I really would like to change is the foul rule, regards to. I mean, in the state of Missouri, we're playing two eight-minute quarters per half. So you're talking 16 minutes of play, and seven is the one-and-one, ten is the double bonus. So you're asking kids to foul six times in 16 minutes. That's a higher percentage regards of fouling rate than in college, especially not necessarily men but women. You know, they've adapted that quarter rule because it's hard to go halves because the college game plays by differently – uh, different rules, but I would love to see the rules reset after each quarter. 
So maybe it's four or five, but then because I don't know the stats to back it up, but I would say that I would say that there's a significant highly more shot free throws in the second quarter in the fourth. The fourth quarter skewed, but compared to the first. Like, I couldn't tell you how many times I watched a high school game. It's a free throw a thaw in the last five minutes of the second quarter because you know how high school kids are. They struggle defending, mm-hmm. and then they foul stupidly. But um, I think that the the way the game's officiated uh, is fine, but I do think that there could be rules that could be uh, changed. Now, uh, like I said, you've coached 14, 15 college players, basically one a year. You always have one kid that goes on and plays collegially. With with having that experience, what ha- similarities have you seen with kids that go on and play in college? And then what things have you seen that has dampered players at the high school level to not play in college or maybe um, damper their college career once they get there? Well, uh, for some of the guys, it's it's been a choice. We've had uh, several other guys. I've been fortunate enough to have really good players uh, in, in my 13 years. But, uh, you know, so sometimes it's a choice. Guys choose maybe a different sport. They choose a different route. Um, you know, they choose a, an academic scholarship instead, which is awesome. Um, I think the, the big thing that it, to be a college athlete, um, you have to love to work. And, you know, not a, a lot of kids love to play. And, uh, and a lot of kids, you know, love for people to see them play, you know, on Tuesday, Friday nights and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But not everybody loves to work. And if you're going to do any sport in college, um, you know, it's, if you don't love to work, eventually you, you're going to kind of burn out of it, in my opinion. So uh, the, the kids that have, that have been able to go on and that have had success at the next level, um, you know, that, they're the ones that, that really love the work because, you know, once you make that jump, you know, every level you move up, the window to, to shoot or to make mistakes becomes smaller. Um, and, you know, once you make that jump from high school to college, you know, you, you're starting off average again or maybe maybe less. So that the work has to begin again um, and, and at an even higher level for you to, you know, to try to get a little playing time or try to get, you know, in whatever spot you're trying to get to. So just the just the love to work, um, and, and that's uh, obviously – you know, the, to be able to balance, have some time management, good habits like that, because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the, the more you're going to work, that's going to take more time. It's going to take time away from, from your academics and that kind of stuff. So you're being disciplined in that, in that area. You know, I, I think that uh, at least at the high school level, if you're not a top 100 kid, you are going to be the man as a junior and senior, and then it's going to get flipped on you like you're a freshman in high school. And I think that kids struggle with – being the man, junior, senior year of high school, and then here they are, freshman year of college, no matter what the level, and now you got to do that whole process over again. Um, the kids that I work with, the players I work with, from the highest level to even the youth level, they know that I'm all about the ceiling, and I'm not the guy that believes in talent. I'm, I mean, I think talent can get you to a threshold, but um, it's not going to necessarily make your career, and it's not about looking at it like, oh, he's better than him, she's better than him. But did you reach your full ceiling? I think that's what it's really about. That's for everybody, coaching, playing. Um, you know, if this kid's ceiling is high major D2, then reach that. Because everybody's got a little bit different ceiling, right? Like LeBron James knew he was going to be an NBA player when he was a sophomore in high school. But he wasn't guaranteed to be top three all time. And that was based on his, like you said, the work habits and just be relentlessly and 
him having that intrinsic, that inside. 7.15 in the morning do it, doing doing some stuff here, uh, spreading the word. Stefan continues to, to spread the game. And, uh, you know, lastly, like, like you were talking about the work, you know, when I came in at North County High School and, and you were a junior, um, you know, that some of that stuff like you talked about on the intro where, uh, you know, we may, have, we may have butted heads or we may have done this and that. You know, I, I could tell early on that uh, you had that, that, work, that work ethic, that work habit, and, and I, could, uh, I could try to push and motivate you in, in a little different way. And I think I remember telling you a long time ago that your best basketball was ahead of you, and it turned out uh, that was the case. You, you kept, it, kept working, and you continue working today. Uh, this dig deep stuff that you've got going, uh, see it firsthand. It is uh, it's second to none, top notch, and uh, you're going to continue to do great things. And I'm honored for you to have me on, and uh, you know to to be a little part of it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Uh, make sure you guys subscribe, like, comment, and uh, share this episode. You can check out everything dig deep basketball at uh, the website digdeepbball.com, Instagram at digdeep underscore basketball. Facebook, same way, Dig Deep Basketball, or at my personal Twitter, at Stefan Martinez. I appreciate you guys coming in checking it out. We'll talk to you guys soon. Mexico.